From hook and bullet to policy and science, we're here to discuss and dissect all matters of importance to Montana's rugged landscape and the people and wildlife that call it home. This is Montana Untamed. The Beartooth Pass climbs between Wyoming and Montana at an elevation close to 11,000 feet. The route through the Beartooth Mountains, Highway 212 between Cook City and Red Lodge, contains the highest mountains in the state. Because of its elevation, the high landscape is a fragile tundra ecosystem where roads not driven in 50 years are still visible on the landscape. The highway opens on Friday morning prior to the Memorial Day weekend, and because so much snow is piled atop the pass, skiers and snowboarders come from around the west to carve a few final turns before summer. Lately, however, snowmobile use atop the pass has increased. The machines are used to tow skiers back up the mountains as well as to just ride. As a result, there's a crowding issue and fears of damage to the fragile environment. Brett French, outdoors editor at the Billings Gazette, is with me today to talk about it. Uh, Brett, can you tell us more about uh, Beartooth Pass? Yeah, hey, Tom. Uh, Beartooth Pass, as you said, climbs between Montana and Wyoming border, way down here in the south-central corner of the state. And it's a very narrow, windy road, one of those white knucklers that zigzags up the sides of this steep glacier-carved valley on the uh, Red Lodge side, going up from Rock Creek, climbs up to the top of the pass, and then you drop down onto this just beautiful plateau that's covered with lakes on the Wyoming side and is a beautiful spot to take off for hiking or backpacking trips. You're starting out at 9,000 feet, just going across this treeless plateau, or not treeless, I guess, but fewer trees. Uh, you can see a long ways. It's just one of the most excellent places to, to hang out. And then if you continue on, it goes down into the Clark's Fork of the Yellowstone River Valley and on to Cook City in the northeast entrance to Yellowstone National Park. So it was really built back in the 30s to connect Red Lodge to Yellowstone National Park as a way to promote tourism. And and as I said in the in the top, it's kind of a seasonal road, right? So what are re- remind everybody what the dates are that the the road is open? Yeah, right. It typically the Montana side opens on the Friday before Memorial Day weekend up to the Montana border, and then the Park Service is in charge of plowing the Wyoming side of the roadway all the way from Cook City up. And word is that they're going to be up there at the same time this year. Sometimes they lag behind because there's some pretty sizable drifts on the other side of the mountains they have to plow through. It sounds like this year they might make it on time. And uh, yeah, it's only open and often gets closed again, even after it opens. There'll be a Mm -hmm. store storm that comes in and drops snow and uh or there's rock fall and they have to close it down but typically you know it'll be stay open till maybe a little past labor day with uh good conditions but you just never know it could it can snow up there any time of the year which is pretty cool do we know how long beartooth pass has been an attraction for skiers yeah it's been ever since the road 
opened, I guess, back in the 1930s, late 30s, when the road was completed. Uh, there's a ski group out of Red Lodge that started trekking up there, the Silver Run Ski Foundation, and they would go up there and, and ski. And then in the 1960s, uh, there was a ski um, school that started teaching, training racers up there. And eventually a lift was put in on one of the head walls. And you can now still go up there and ride a chairlift in the, in the summertime. It's the uh, Beartooth Basin Summer Ski Area, I believe it's called. It's, it's gone through a few different names. And so that even attracts people up there to, to ride the lift and ski down some pretty steep head walls and a, there's a huge cornice up there. So it's been an attraction for quite a while, but it was, it was pretty limited, I'd say until about 10 years ago. It was pretty hardcore, you know, double black diamond kind of skiing that not a lot of folks were into, but it seems like, you know, as, as sports continue to get more and more extreme, uh, they attract more and more people as you see on rivers, kayaking, you know, everything it seems like it's more extreme these days. So it's drawing more people. And so where do, you know, where do the skiers and snowboarders go up there? It sounds to me like it used to be isolated to certain areas, but now it's a little more widespread. Is that correct? Well, there's several areas they can ski. One of the most popular where they're seeing a lot of the conflict is called the Gardner Headwall. And it drops down into a basin uh, right off the highway. So there's a big parking area right there. And there's another angle onto that same head wall if you go further up the road. Um, but back in the day, you know, most everybody had to boot pack it up out of there. You, you skied down, you had to walk back up. Um, another one of the places is the uh, Rock Creek head wall. And the nice thing about that one was you could walk across the top of the plateau a little way from really close to the Montana border. And you hit the head wall and it was really you go off a cornice and through this narrow chute, which is kind of scary. And then it opens up and it's, it's a pretty, you know, black diamond, dark blue run. It's a lot easier, but it's that getting through that chute. That's kind of scary. And uh, the nice thing about that one is it takes you down to one of the curves on the highway where you can park a car or leave a bike. If you're really into a lot of exercise or have somebody pick you up and uh, go back up to get your other rig. So that one's probably one of the most popular. And then there's a couple of others that go off past, kind of near where the ski area is. One's called Reefer Ridge. I'll let you ponder what that uh, <laughs> connotates. And uh, it goes down into the Rock Creek Valley. So even farther down into the bottom, much farther than the uh, Rock Creek headwall goes. And uh, that's a, you get to the bottom of there and you're packing through the trees and stuff, which might be a little difficult after the, this last flood season when that uh, drainage got wiped out. But most of the problem now is up in that Gardner headwall area where the you can park and get your sled out right there and zoom across the pot, top of the pass and down into the headwall. And but I've heard uh, tell of even snowmobilers going off down the other side through some of those narrow crevasses that are um, pretty limited width, you know, uh, scaring some skiers as they're roaring down and the skiers are hiking up. So it's a, mm -hmm. it's a pretty, not a very big area. 
Well, yeah, and I was hoping before we really get into the nuts and bolts of the conflict that you reported on up there, um, can you kind of paint a picture? I don't know if you've ever been there. I know there were some photographs that ran with your story. Can you kind of paint a picture for folks who've maybe not seen um, or been up there? I would imagine that because a lot of the ski season in the rest of the state is all but, you know, melted away, there probably gets to be a pretty big attraction for folks who are trying to get some last turns before summer. So is there a lot of people? Are there kind of cars parked everywhere? What does it look like? Yeah, on the weekends, it can get pretty busy. Uh, party type atmosphere, I would say, with a lot of younger folks. Um, you know, you go on a weekday, and you might see a family. Um, but yeah, definitely crowded on the the weekends, as long as the snow holds up, you know, and that really varies year to year. And of course, the quality of the snow really varies too, because if you get a lot of the sunshine and it gets cold at night, it's just scary ice in the morning before it warms up again, you know, so that can really affect how many people are up there too. Or mm. it can drop new snow, you know, and that, that'll draw people in to go up there and, and cut some freshies. So um, but yeah, it's mostly concentrated in that Gardner headwall area just because the, the access is pretty easy right there. So can you, can you kind of lay out the fundamentals of what the conflict and the concern is and kind of the players and who's worried? Yeah, so the concern comes from um, some of the wilderness groups, the conservation groups, uh, the Winter Wildlands Alliance is one of them. Uh, Wyoming Wilderness Association is another. And because that ecosystem is so fragile, um, some of those areas up there, are even a research natural area protected because of the unique plants uh, that grow up there. And it's also a time of year, you know, when bears are coming out of their dens. Uh, it's uh, a little more constricted where things are. You know, there's not a lot of places for snowmobiles to go. So especially up there, it's not a typical snowmobile area. Most of the real riders, uh, I talked to folks down at the Cody uh, snowmobile group, and most of those guys are riding down below the pass on the Wyoming side, which is a, a really great area, more open, um, more accessible terrain than riding up on that, that steeper area. So. And then uh, the Shoshone National Forest is in, in charge of most of that area up there because it's right on the border of the Shoshone and the Beartooth District. But most of the area that's being used by the skiers and the snowmobilers is on the Shoshone. So your story mentions, uh, you know, the Forest Service is working on a travel plan for the area. Um, what are they proposing? And This kind of seems to me like a situation where the recreational technology and opportunity um, has kind of outpaced the regulations in the area. Is that fair? Yeah, that's fair. Um, the Shoshone has agreed that for, you know, since the last travel plan was written back in the 80s, that the snowmobile use has been unregulated and, and they want to bring about some controls on it. And so they've offered up an environmental assessment of what they proposed. They came out with a proposed alternative back in October of 2021. And uh, they would 
restrict season of use from around November until mid-June. And they would uh, restrict some of the areas where riders can go, but not as much as the conservation groups would like to see. They would like to see that high area where the pass, you know, and the skiing is taking place off limits to snowmobiles. They'd also like the research natural area off limits, as well as the uh, Clark Fork Canyon, which is a steep road that climbs up four wheel drive trail, doesn't get as much snow. Uh, they'd like to see that off limits. And then there's one other area, the High Lakes uh, Wilderness Study Area, which is on that side that drops off into Wyoming, where they'd like to see use regulated to uh, what it was in 1984 when the Wilderness Study Area was created. And that would limit travel more away from the wilderness boundary that exists for the Absar Beartooth Wilderness. The uh, snowmobilers, they, you know, obviously don't want to see any more regulations. They're totally opposed to a forest ranger being in charge of controlling when something opens up based on depth, which is one of the recommendations from the, the Forest Service. So they'd go out and measure, you know, whether the snow depth is deep enough to allow travel. And so they hate to see that because they think, well, if you set a depth, then, you know, six inches on a pack trail is going to be different than six inches of loose snow. Um, so those are some of the issues that they're dealing with. The problem is, is the uh, Forest Service has had a lot of turnover since the EA came out and has really, um, other than studied the public comments, hasn't came out with any uh, decision notice since 2021 when they released the EA. And as they keep cycling through people, uh, the groups are getting a little frustrated that no action has been taken. Hmm. So what can you maybe explain again that, that is the concern the snowmobiles traveling on the snow or are they traveling across dry ground to get to the snow? I guess I'm trying to figure out why are the snowmobiles exclusively um, come under fire for deteriorating this ecosystem and not the people hiking or parking on it? Yeah, you're right. It's because the snow can be really patchy up there in the springtime. Um, you know, they'll, they'll be uh, riding to get from one snowy area to another across the tundra, you know, and this is this really fragile ecosystem. Like I said, the or like you noted in the, the opening statements, you know, those roads that have been up there for decades that were made decades ago that are no longer used, they're still real evident because that ecosystem is so easily damaged by uh, use. And so they're snowmobiling across dry grass, getting to their, from where they're parking to where the snow is, um, to get from snow area to snow area. And then just the, uh, you know, when you have, people walking up and down slopes or skiing down slopes and you got snowmobiles on slopes. Uh, it gets, can get a little crazy. The more people you have out there. I know even just on the, uh, the regulated ski areas when they're running a snowmobile, you know, they're really cautious. They have flags, you know, and, uh, they try to stick to the sides and, um, up on the pass, uh, there's video of a guy taking a snowmobile and jumping from one side of the highway to the other 
from snowbank to snowbank. So, you know, there's there's some of that uh, unregulated use that gets a little out of hand when you get get people together. Right. And, you know, a lot of the conversation this time of year is about um, interfering with wildlife that are, you know, are coming out of winter, you know, elks are elk are dropping calves, deer are dropping fawns. Is there any concern um, from the conservation groups about skiers um, negatively affecting the area? Or is this kind of strictly just the effects of it, or, are the proposals to just keep the snowmobiles out or, or are there proposals from the conservation groups or things the conservation groups would like to see to reduce the amount of skiing up there as well? No, it's, it's like you said, it's pretty much just a reduction in motorized use. And their argument is that, you know, there's plenty of other areas where they can take snowmobiles and play. I think there's 200 miles of groomed trails on the Shoshone, which probably doesn't seem like a lot considering how big the Shoshone is. But then there's a lot of other off-trail riding that goes on in that area that uh, is open. And like I said before, you know, the traditional snowmobilers aren't going up there. These are people that uh, use snowmobiles, uh, typically like in places like the Cook City area. Skiers have snowmobiles so they can get into the backcountry, go up slopes, and have a way to get up and down the slopes. You know, they'll They'll tow another skier. They'll have three people on one sled, you know, to get back to an area. And so they can do laps and uh, not have a lift and not have to boot pack up a, a mountainside. So it's something that's pretty common in those areas. Cook City, um, I'm not sure whether they still do it around Belliard outside of uh, uh, Pony over in the tobacco routes is another area I can think of. But that's kind of how it started was this uh, way for skiers to get into these remote areas. And so those are the people that are up there um, towing skiers back up the hill and riding around. Hmm. So I feel like this question might answer itself based on your early statements about the Forest Service process. But do we have any idea when the Forest Service will complete its travel plan? No, because they still just have an acting superintendent. And so I think until they get uh, somebody there permanent, they're probably not going to issue a decision. So they said they're just continuing to work on the public comments and don't have an end date in sight. So for at least the rest of this season, it will be the status quo up there. Right. Unless, unless there's some kind of, unless they decide to send up a, one of their few rangers to, to police the area. And somebody did tell me that somebody had been up there policing it. And I, I don't know who that whether that would be the uh, Beartooth Ranger District, which is a little closer. Or if Shoshone sent somebody up there on the weekend. Um, yeah, I don't know. All right. Well, thanks again, Brett. Yeah, thanks, Tom. Montana Untamed is a podcast from the newsrooms of Lee Enterprises' Montana newspapers. Visit any of our websites or subscribe wherever podcasts are found. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.